and welcome to Young and Sober, the podcast where we discuss what it means to get sober under the age of 30 and stay sober. If you're sober, sober curious, or just curious, you've come to the right place. Welcome to episode two. This week we will be chatting about being young, sober, and socialising. And uh, today we are going to answer one of the questions that we were asked by a listener after the last episode. Um, before we start talking about socialising. And that question today is, what process did you follow to get to your first meeting? So Alex, do you wanna? Yeah, first? sure. Um, so I, to be honest, I think I've realised that I had a problem about six years before I properly stopped drinking. So I first just looked on the website and they have like a little quiz or like, questions that you answer to see if you're an alcoholic um and it says something like if you answer I think there's maybe 14 questions or something if you answer over three then you're an alcoholic and I answered yes to every single one <laughs> um but I still didn't I still didn't acknowledge that I really really needed to get help and then mm. when I finally decided that I was going to I went on the AA website and they have like a chat option because I was too scared to phone um, and I just talked to a woman about how I was feeling and she sent me a link to meetings in my area. Um, and I found a meeting that was maybe two days later. Um, I decided I needed a couple of days to build up my confidence. And it was about a 15 minute walk from where I lived. And I went in and someone came and said hello to me straight away, explained what was going to happen because I was so nervous, not knowing what to expect. Um, mm. And she sat next to me, and at the end of the meeting, she gave me her number and recommended a few more meetings. So, yeah, it was all pretty straightforward, and I I felt really supported by the person on the chat. Like they they were an alcoholic as well in recovery, and that just kind of helped me already to feel like it was going to be safe. What about you? Yes. Yeah. Um, so for me, I called the helpline first. Um, but when I did that, I was drunk and high. So um, it was more of a sort of cry for <laughs> cry for help yeah. and bless the other person on the phone. I think they were like trying to help me, but I, I was more just, I was, so, I was, yeah, I was not in a very good headspace or coherent or really listening to what they were saying. I can't even remember what he said other than, you know, get to a meeting. Um, but you know, I wasn't ready at that point. Um, so personally, the process I followed was, I think I mentioned maybe in my previous, the previous episode that a friend of mine had been sober for a couple of years and we worked really quite well, quite our offices were quite close by to one another sort of in. Great Portland Street, Warren Street kind of area, which is actually a bit of a recovery mecca in London. Um, you know, Frith Street, you've got meetings on all day, every day. Yeah. Um, and there's Soho Recovery Centre as well, isn't there? Yeah, Soho Recovery Centre, right by Tottenham Court Road Station. But yeah, um, a friend of mine sort of came along with me to a couple of meetings local to our offices um so that was kind of my my in 
Um, but I have since worked, I've done some service, i.e. Um, going to, they've got Lafone Street, which is uh, AA's headquarters in London. And I've sort of manned the phones there before. And what you'll find is that if you, when you call them, they'll, they'll ask exactly where you're from, like um, how old you are, et cetera. Just take a few details from you. And what they try to do is link you up with somebody that's in your kind of area yeah. to, to call you. And in some cases um, they, might be a bit difficult at the moment with lockdown, but in some cases they'll come and pick you up and actually take you to a physical meeting. Yeah, I've heard of people that have done that. And I think that's that must be incredibly helpful. I mean, I, I honestly didn't realize that was an option. So I think it will be really helpful for people to hear that because especially, you know, with all the fear and anxiety, it must be really comforting mm. actually to have someone come and pick you up and take you. Although obviously with everything being on Zoom now, you don't have to go anywhere if you don't want to. You can just log in online. Yeah, very, very true. And yeah, I, I encourage you. It's almost like we're out of excuses now not to go to a meeting. Yeah. <laughs> because like the old excuse of, oh, it's too far away. Oh, the weather was bad. It's snowing. Yeah, it's like you just need to type in a few words and uh, you're on Zoom and you've got thousands of meetings now. So yeah. Yeah, um, and I think one of the great things that the woman that I met in the first meeting said to me was, you don't have to say or do anything. Nobody has any expectation of you. You're more than welcome to literally just sit and listen. Mm. And that was something that was so, so great. And also, I didn't have to go up and approach anyone. A few people came and approached me. And that was that was also great. It was just really reassuring that, you know, I was really in a safe place and that people kind of understood how I was feeling because everyone else has gone through their first meeting as well right so yeah yeah that was really helpful yeah no I definitely echo what you said just you know I know people who have entered into recovery uh 12-step meetings only knowing zoom and sometimes they've asked you know do I need to do anything do I need to you know what's the protocol it's like really there isn't any um just yeah sit just open the link up listen to the similarities rather than the differences and if you feel comfortable with introducing yourself at the meetings so people are aware that you're new to the whole thing um there's no pressure to do that at all but it put you in a good position so that you know perhaps more experienced members within the fellowship will be able to to help you and get to know you a bit more or direct you to another meeting um, that you might like yeah definitely yeah. well so I think we'll we'll answer a different question from listeners just at the beginning of every podcast just to kind of give people a little bit more context for our recovery and how people come into recovery in general um, mm. but let's kick off with young sober and social and mm. I think maybe the first thing that comes to mind for me is what did you think your social life would be like once you'd stopped drinking? I mean, did you even think you were going to have one? I know I didn't. <laughs> uh, no, I didn't. I, 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 my initial, yeah, I didn't know any, any other way of, of socializing. Like my, 
you know, after a week of work, my socializing was almost always going to the pub or getting ready to go out, drinking at home, going to a house party and drinking. Pre-gaming. Yeah. Um, you know, if I had a rugby game on a Saturday, I used to play, I'd, I'd curb it. I'd, I'd sometimes not drink on the Friday because I didn't want to be absolutely awful on Saturday. But sometimes I just think, ah, oh, let's have a couple. Yeah. You know, and, and just play a bit hungover. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I kind of, I, yeah, I didn't really know what what it would look like. Um, what was your what was your experience? I yeah, I mean, very similar to you. I mean, I did not play rugby. I can't imagine anything worse than playing rugby hungover. To be honest, <laughs> absolutely nothing. Um, I. I think as a young person, and I mean, you know, I feel free for all of you older people listening to correct me if I'm wrong, but I felt that all of my friends drank and took drugs, all mm. of my friends. And that was my social life was, you know, we went to bars, we went to pubs, similar to you, I went to a lot of house parties and I did genuinely think that my social life was over. I couldn't visualize, first of all, being in the same places where everyone was doing that and not being compelled to drink or take drugs. Um, and second of all, I couldn't think of anything fun that didn't involve alcohol. I mean, mm. during the week, working week, for example, I would be so excited if there was like a house party or whatever. And I now recognize that I was excited about those things because it was an excuse to drink or an excuse to get really drunk because that's what everyone else would be doing and nobody would judge me. So if there was an event, that was like the perfect excuse for me to go out and get wasted, you know? Um, and I think, again, I didn't realize at the time when I first got sober, but after I'd had some therapy and done a bit of work on myself, I realized that my social anxiety was a big part of that. And I never felt like I was funny enough or, you know, confident enough or intelligent enough. And... I always felt like when I drank that kind of went away and I felt like I was fun and like I could be the person that everyone wanted to be wanted me to be so I definitely had a concern that without alcohol I was just going to be really boring but also just really shy because actually I am an introvert but when I was drinking I didn't think I was I thought I was a massive extrovert um mm. so yeah I I was I was worried I was worried that my social life would be over yeah, similar to you, like, uh, and this is not a pointing the finger or blaming sort of thing, but yeah, I, I it was a choice. I, I chose to hang out with people that would be up for doing that, you know. A hundred percent. Obviously, that was kind of, you know, like, you... you <laughs> you sort of convince yourself you're going there because you know house parties are fun and you know there's music and stuff but really it's free reign to essentially drink and use whatever you want without really anybody judging you judging you or caring yeah 100%. um yeah i think also it's the... a lot cheaper that way as well wasn't it you know yeah yeah. yeah, I remember my favourite drink at uni was Cheeky Vimto. Did you ever have Cheeky Vimto? I don't think so. It was so. like WKD and rum. 
Oh. And we called it Cheeky Vimto. And it was, I would literally just walk around with a bottle of it in my hand and just be swigging from it the whole night. Um, wow. So, I mean, following on from that, how did you manage socialising in your early days? I mean, I think it's it does get easier, but what did it feel like and what kind of things did you try to do or not do in your early, early sobriety? Yeah, so in my first year, I'll use that time frame, I guess. Um, I just, well, Certainly within the first few months, I chose not to hang around in, in what they call wet places. So places that serve drink. Yeah. I just wasn't in a space to feel comfortable with being in those sorts of places. Yeah. I didn't really trust myself. You know, I didn't have a program at that point or I didn't really understand it at that point or, you know, so to me, that seemed like insanity. To, to, to do that. As time went on, as I was getting more kind of um, used to working the program, I did put myself in situations, I wouldn't say like difficult situations, but I, I wanted to kind of test myself a bit and, and I wanted to sort of see, okay, how do I fare when I, when I go to these kind of places or I go to a party and people will be drinking? Um, so I didn't completely avoid wet places, particularly as you know, people after work, you know, as a team, that would be what they do. They go to the pub, but mm. of course, a lot of them would just have one and go and go home. Which seemed like madness to me when I could see people only having one drink or people who chose not to drink just for like one night or two nights. I thought that was nuts. I was like, why would you do that? Why would you? Hmm. Because they don't, yeah, it's, it's crazy, isn't it? Because they don't think like us and they can just have one and not constantly then feel like they are looking for the next one. Yeah. And they're comfortable in their own skin and yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. So how else did it evolve change? I mean, I was, thankfully, I was, I was actually introduced to some like sober events through people in AA, mm. you know, because they wanted to, you know, show us that you know you can still have fun and in london there was a few like sober dance like sober raves conscious raves like conscious ecstatic dance events which by the way i realize is not for everyone like and i think i wanted to see how much outside of my comfort zone i could kind of get um yeah i mean i went to a sober rave once and i did enjoy it but Afterwards, I was like, I didn't enjoy raves when I was drinking, so why did I think I was going to enjoy a rave sober? <laughs> like, I just went because I was like, this is a sober activity. But I mean, it was fun, but it's def it's not the kind of thing that I that I went back to. Yeah, I it's quite funny actually. I took some of my my friends to a sober event once, <laughs> who were not alcoholic, <laughs> you know, or, or anything, and and they'd never even consider going to something like that. But it was for my it was after my one year sobriety and they were just like what is this because like, <laughs> <laughs> you, you get a real mix of of people you know just really expressing themselves um but I think they also had like this newfound respect for people like 
because like being able to do that sober for a lot even if you're not an alcoholic like to yeah. be fully expressive on a dance floor and just flailing your arms around and everything yeah. yeah that is actually the one thing that I really enjoyed about the rave that I went to is that at the beginning they actually did a meditation and they mm. like set the intention of no judgment so they were like if you just want to sit against the wall and do nothing no one's going to judge you we want to set the intention that you're not only not going to judge yourself but you're not going to judge anyone else so just feel free to do literally whatever you want and mm. sober dancing was something that I was really scared of like I love to dance but I genuinely had never been out dancing without being drunk and that was the first time I think maybe it was I was just over one year and that was the first time that I actually just like let myself go and I did really really quite like that like I was just kind of exactly arms flailing like I probably looked like an absolute nutcase Mm. but it was it was fun and I think I also kind of discovered also like what I actually enjoyed because the idea of going to a club for example now really does not appeal to me and I realized later on that the club environment like overcrowded smelly often like a sticky floor like mm. just people just like sweaty and all over each other like I actually realize now that that is not something that I enjoy and part of the reason why I had to get so drunk to go was because I hated it so much and like that that doesn't appeal to me anymore but I think I had an idea of what sober fun could look like because I had some friends that I met while I was traveling um, which is when I was still drinking and they live in America and they don't drink it's like a whole community they have a, like a religious community and they don't drink mm -hmm. and so when I went to go and stay with them there was no alcohol and for two weeks I didn't drink because nobody around me was drinking and we went to gigs we had like games nights we had like craft nights and all of this stuff like at the time I was like this is so lame but I actually really enjoyed it and so then when I got sober I kind of I had a few friends, one friend in particular, a guy called Joe, who was actually the first friend that I told that I was an alcoholic and I was coming into AA. And one of the first things he said to me was, okay, we need to find some sober activities to do then. And that just absolutely warmed my heart that he was willing to go out of his way to find an activity that I could enjoy sober was just so amazing. And I was very blessed that my, my oldest group of friends really embraced it and they would do things like you know organize something during the day so that they wouldn't want to be drinking or we would go to a restaurant so like a couple of them would have like a glass of wine or two but there wouldn't be like a drunk kind of drinking vibe um mm. and I actually got quite emotional the first time that they did that because they were originally going to go to a vermouth bar <laughs> and I was like guys I really I don't think I'm going to go because I just, I, it's just not an idea, good idea for me. And my friend Sue messaged me and said, look, we're all gonna go for a curry instead. And that just really, that was so lovely that they were, they cared about me and they cared about my sobriety enough to, to change their plans. Mm. Um, and not everybody does that. And I don't need them to do it so much. I mean, coming up to four years sobriety, I am more able to be in, in wet places, places yeah. where they serve alcohol, but in the early days, it was really, really great for me to have friends who who respected my choice enough to, to kind of organize things like that. And I mean, I love bowling. Bowling is one of my favorite things to do. Um, and like walking, hiking, like getting out into nature is always amazing. 
and I think just connections with people changed I don't know whether you found that but just I just realized that my friendship could be based on so much more than just going out and partying together and the friendships that were only based on that kind of just slipped away slightly yeah so I'm with you with the with the outdoor stuff and the hiking and stuff like and that that was actually from there was somebody there's a particularly enthusiastic member that uh, I think both of us know of, of AA uh, beginning with an R. Uh, <laughs> yep. <laughs> his name is Rob. Uh, Lovely. He he calls him. He's a self-proclaimed unity monster. I.e., like he he you know his point is that and it talks about it in the big book like we are not a glum locked you know and we didn't get sober to be boring or yeah, to be bored not. exactly yeah and since getting sober i've with recovery based people i've been i've climbed two mountains in the uk um we've been on like the fastest zip line in the in the uk yeah, in the yeah, fastest zip line in the UK. Uh, what else we do? Whitewater rafting, like oh, amazing. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. It was a proper had a proper like lads <laughs> lads holiday. Not to say that's like exclusively lads stuff to do, but you know, it was a proper adventure active holiday. And um that's right up my street anyway, you know, being quite sort of into my being active and being outside and outside but that's not to say like that might not be what you like but I think that's another thing is that it's through doing these things it's through trying things that you may not have done before that you yeah. discover what you actually like to do yeah. you, ha you have to kind of get out there and do it um, and I rediscover like I remember and I often share that when I got sober I didn't know anything that I liked I realized I didn't like I didn't even know how I liked my coffee like I just realized that I'd completely lost myself in this in this drinking persona and the person that I was when I was drinking or even the person that I was in between because it was more about the impression that I made on other people than it was about me actually being myself because I, I didn't know who I was and so it was uncomfortable when I first stopped drinking because I just, I, I didn't really know where I stood and I didn't really feel like I had any interests or any hobbies. Like, I mean, I had friends around me who, you know, were into things like hiking or climbing or um, like they played, one of my friends, Ellie plays netball every week. I mean, obviously not at the moment, but I didn't have any hobbies because my hobby was just going out and getting drunk. So having to kind of rediscover that, you know, I, I realized that I love art, I love writing, like all of these things that actually don't always involve another person, which is another thing. I got much more confident at spending time with myself. Mm. Um, and, you know, in sobriety, I've, I've moved out of my parents' house and moved into a flat on my own, which if somebody had told me that I'd be living by myself when I was drinking or in my early sobriety, I would have laughed at them because I couldn't imagine anything worse than being in my own company for an extended period of time. And now that's okay. You know, I don't always have to be surrounded by people. I don't have to be distracted from my own head. Um, but yeah, I think, I think just trial and error, isn't it? Trying different things and seeing what works and what doesn't. And also what people work and the ones that don't. Because there are some people that 
I found there were a couple of people who just couldn't get on board with my sobriety and they just kind of used to make fun of it or used to kind of still try to get me to drink and they'd be like oh go on just have one and Mm. I realized actually those people weren't the people that I needed to be spending my time with I needed to be spending time with people who supported my decision and tried to you know I know that most the majority of my friends if I ever said to them like oh I might just have one they'd be like no like we are not going to let you have a drink and that ultimately especially in my early days was really really helpful yeah you asked me about um friendships and mention it but yeah I think there's one thing is that you're obviously with not drinking means what often I think what happens is that people start looking at themselves a bit and um the way that they do things and and for you to then like decide you're going to make a fairly big change in that way it makes some people feel quite uncomfortable Mm. so then of course they're not gonna support that decision um and that is something that can i'd say it's almost quite painful in a way part of the recovery process i found is that maybe you realize that some of those friendships that were once like really important may you may have outgrown them in some way or Mm. just not on the same page anymore Mm. and uh but of course you know with that means that you're making a whole bunch of other friends that are on the same page but and it's important you know to focus on that obviously but Mm. you know sometimes i've i've had some waves of sadness about certain friendships um you know, and you've kind of thought, well, did that friendship, what did that friendship really stand for? Like, what did that mm. mean? Was that? It yeah. served a purpose at the time. But I think I think now, like, my friendship, like, in terms of people that I speak to regularly, it's, it's much smaller. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I think, you know, that doesn't necessarily, I mean, yes, recovery is a part of that. But I think also, you know, when you get a little bit older, um like we've both we're both 31 now and I think you know as you get older you do realize the power and genuine connection and I think another part of recovery that for me definitely leads to more meaningful friendships is that I've I've done so much learning about myself and so much reflecting and Mm. I'm so much more confident in who I am and actually that just attracts people like it attracts your people because they see this 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 inner glow I guess that you have and I remember seeing it in in friends of mine that I met in early sobriety where you know they came in maybe like six months to a year before me and you just see this transformation and they just like emanate confidence but also just contentment um because I mean there's nothing less attractive than someone who's desperately 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 trying to get you to like them whereas if somebody is just comfortable being themselves Mm. it's it's appealing and I mean I I am in lockdown actually met somebody I was walk I walked with my dog locally to where I live and um there's a woman called Jackie shout out to Jackie um who I met just in the park with her dog and we just got chatting and this was March literally just as lockdown started 
Mm. And we got chatting and then we decided to go walking the next day. And then we decided to go walking the next day. Then we discovered that we have the exact same birthday, same day, same month, same year. And I was like, whoa, this is crazy. Um, and we've walked almost every day since. It's been over a year. And we've just formed this beautiful friendship where we just talk about everything. And I mean, I think even in the first week or two, I'd mentioned that I was in therapy and that I was in recovery. And so that then opened kind of the possibility of her being able to share openly because I was willing to be vulnerable. Mm. Um, and I think sharing in recovery kind of teaches us that when you open yourself up and you kind of reveal parts of yourself to other people, they're willing to do that back. And we bond through our vulnerability. Like, yes, we bond through things like hobbies and whatever, but when somebody shows you the parts of themselves that are a little bit uncomfortable, it kind of creates a safe space for somebody else to do that. And then you form this real connection rather than something that's just surface. Have you found that too? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, but also it's it, it sometimes on the, on the flip side of that coin is that I find myself being a little bit because I sort of really authenticity is sort of, you know, a core value of mine. And uh, I then therefore find it difficult when I'm in social situations where it's a bit like, you know, I could tolerate it before I got, I got sober, but you know, you know, I'm talking about like situations where it's like, it's all very surface level, like lad, 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 like. Um, lots of small talk. I hate small talk. Lots of small talk. <laughs> um yeah whereas like when you're in when you once you're in recovery and you've been around for a while and everyone's just kind of talking from the heart and just being completely honest with themselves like you know two other people and then you go into like the real world again and you're like around people that are still doing this whole small talk thing like oh what are you doing for work like you know Talk about the weather yeah I can still... English people do all the time though anyway <laughs> yeah my theory on that is that because it's so ever-changing it's like but yeah it's weird isn't it um yeah so part of yeah I mean it I think you're right though like being being authentic and being quite open I think I think where sometimes I can uh, overstep it can be like sometimes oh, yeah. is, there, is there is this really the time and the place to talk about it yeah. I actually have a really funny story which wasn't to do with me and the person that <laughs> the person knows who it is who uh and I'll, I'll, sh I'll show this uh podcast but I remember when we were out and we um <laughs> bumped into a couple who were you know, we'd never spoken to them before, but they just seemed like a nice couple. And they were sat at a table. There weren't many tables in this bar, which had like these dance lessons and stuff going on. And we sat with them and started chatting. And they said, uh, so um, so how do you guys know each other? And she, and she goes, we're in recovery. And they were just like, right. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's yeah. move swiftly on. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Was, yeah. Was, like we can laugh, we can laugh at it now. And she, you know, she can laugh at herself about it now. And 
but you know it's the sort of thing that I I've done yeah I mean that actually lends itself or works towards another question that I had which is like how do you respond when people ask you if people ask you why you don't drink because I know that in some social situations I mean the majority of my friends know and understand um but I have had people you know if I'm at a bar and I order like a tonic water or like a lime and soda or whatever also mm. deciding what I was going to drink sober was a whole different deal um but how how you respond to people because I think I respond to people very differently now to the way that I did at the beginning mm. um I now kind of just say it just doesn't agree with me and I don't like the person that I am when I drink so I just I just don't um what about you I just say today I literally just say oh I don't drink yeah um and rare i think if to be honest i think anyone that the only person that sort of people i feel like that might question that would be maybe old friends you haven't seen for a really long time and they yeah. don't have any idea that you're in recovery but yeah. the reality is that you know if you say you don't drink to somebody that you barely know then it it's very rare I don't think it's that likely that they're going to then go why that's true you know like yeah in our heads we, we're fearful that they're going to be everyone's like, going to make a big deal out of it yeah like why don't you drink yeah but I also think it's becoming more of it's more normal yeah. today yeah um yeah there's a lot of people doing it for like a health kick isn't there and for their mental health rather than because they're an addict or an alcoholic yeah and my understanding is that the generation sort of before us mm. was generation z or whatever you call yeah, it something like that. Their name for it now but they're becoming a lot more kind of health conscious and and aren't really that as interested in drinking anyway so I don't know, I don't want to speak on their behalf because I don't know enough about, about their situation. But I just know, like, from my own experience through, you know, I just say I don't drink. People just go, fair enough. Yeah. Or they, they're, like, impressed. I've definitely had a lot of people be like, wow, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. You look like you haven't had that experience. <laughs> <laughs> For those listening, no, Christian like, just like, like looked, looked sneakily from side to side. <laughs> no, I, was just, I was trying to think of, of times where I've had that. Um, I have had a similar response. Like, oh, right, cool. You know, yeah. just so don't feel, yeah, don't feel shame, ashamed or yeah, like, yeah, yeah. people I have a just... respect for it. Yeah, just lastly, because it's something that we've talked about before, um, yeah. events where you can't necessarily leave if you feel like leaving. So things like weddings and, Ooh. you know, some birthday parties sometimes if it's like a really good friend and you feel like you have to hang around. Like how, how do you manage that with your sobriety? They're my least favourite occasions. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Oh. Or the trickiest, the trickiest occasions. Yeah, I mean, just to say, like, with outside of those special events with bars and stuff, like, the lovely thing is, is that you can leave, you can yeah. escape, you know, it gets to a point, it gets to about 10, 
11, people are chatting, kind of saying yeah. the same stuff as they said like three hours before. Yeah. But you can just go, right? You can get on the tube or you can, like, oh, I've just got to, you know, it's fine. Whereas, as you say, with things like weddings, um, where sometimes they're like <laughs> in the middle of nowhere, um, you're relying on other people, like for, for oh, this is a, this is probably a good point to mention, like you rely on other people to like get around, like yeah. at a lift from somebody or um, you're sharing accommodation with somebody or sort of a group or, yeah, I would just like, my advice around that might be just to get as much detail as you can about like the agenda for the yeah. day, um, where you're staying in relation to the wedding or whatever event it is. Mm -hmm. um, might it be worth hiring a car? Yeah. Um, so that you can leave. Yeah. Because it is, it, you know, these sorts of events are draining, you know, because everyone's drinking and getting merry. Some people are taking it even like a step further and kind of getting on it. Um, yeah. Something someone actually recommended to me as well was to kind of bookend the event with talking to someone else in recovery. So to like call someone beforehand, just before you go in to kind of get like a little top up of recovery and then to call them afterwards and just to kind of like check in, check in with them before and afterwards just to kind of, yeah, I guess brief and then debrief. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I've, um, I've used weddings as an excuse. I used to smoke. Um, I don't now. That's just another slippery slope for me. Like I know that, yeah. <laughs> chuffing away on that. Chuffing away. <laughs> yeah, like I, 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 that was a bit of a battle for me as well, giving up the fags. And I, I sometimes found myself like, oh, you know, I'm at a wedding. I'm going to want to have some sort of vice and I'll, I'll like start smoking at the wedding. And oh my God, yes. I literally chain smoked for my first year of sobriety. I also don't smoke anymore. I vape, yeah. but I don't smoke anymore. It's funny, isn't it? It's like, and what? coffee, coffee. Like I, I now can only have one cup of coffee a day and I'm good, I'm set. But especially at like parties and stuff, I remember I went to a, a Christmas party of my best friend and this was probably, I wasn't even at a year yet. And the whole house, first of all, smelled like mulled wine. So I was like, okay, this is gonna be a problem. I chain smoked yeah. the entire night, but I also drank so much coffee so much coffee and then got home and just felt terrible and obviously couldn't sleep and then when you don't sleep you feel like you've got a hangover anyway so I was like what was the point of any of that and I had to learn like I really had to learn like coffee is not the one or energy drinks oh, I was gonna say so I've been to an event organized by another fellowship begins with a C yeah <laughs> they know how to throw a good party <laughs> Obviously. Obviously. But it was it is hilarious because I've been to a few now and the amount of Red Bull <laughs> that is being drunk at those events. And I get it, you know, but you don't want to be drinking loads of that stuff. No. And I don't like I get heart palpitations now if I drink 
an energy drink. I, I just, I just can't do it. <laughs> Don't. Yeah, it's not. It's not a good idea. Not at all. But the events are still. Yeah, they are. They are good parties. Um, I just think to just like f finish up. I just think like in terms of, of socializing, like go at your own pace. Yeah. Don't like, you know, force yourself to do things that you don't want to do. But, you know, as you get a bit more of a foundation in your sobriety, like do maybe put yourself in not like really dodgy situations, but maybe, you know, go with a friend somewhere, a friend that you know that cares about you and knows what you're, what's your, what you're doing. Or take a sober buddy with you. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, see what you're comfortable with. But I would, yeah, also just suggest try stuff, try things out, things that you've always wanted to do. Like thing for me this year is surfing. I'm going to go surfing this year. Oh, amazing. And I want to, yeah, want to get. I'll probably get a bit obsessed with it, but um, yeah, it's my to-do, or my to-do. What's on your to-do? What's on my to-do? Um, well, I am going, well, COVID dependent. I'm going to stay with those American friends that I told you about in July. Um, and I haven't been climbing since I got sober and it's in Utah and Utah is like one of the absolute best places for climbing. So I'm gonna try and get out and do some climbing which should be really fun. And I mean, it's just, it's beautiful, like desert and mountains and yeah, I just can't wait. I'm really excited. Oh, I'm jealous. That sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so just lastly, let's, let's wrap it up with some gratitude. What's one thing that you're grateful for today? Mm. Today I'm grateful that I was able to help another alcoholic and help them through the step work and to be able to have compassion, you know, a bit more compassion for myself, mm. um, but, but also for them. Um, yeah, that's what I'm grateful for. What about you? Oh, me. Um, I am grateful for just opportunities to get involved in things that make me feel good lockdown has been very boring kind of this time around and you know having this which is so much fun and having it on a Sunday um being able to do some writing and just just still having my job you know because a lot of people don't right now and I'm just I'm feeling pretty grateful for that lots of creative and exciting things to keep me busy amazing um Okay, well, thanks so much, everyone, for joining us. We will be back next week with a speaker, the lovely Mel. Please do like and subscribe. And if you've got any questions or feedback about what you've heard today, we would absolutely love to hear from you. So send us a message either on Instagram, which is at Young and Sober Podcast, or email us at youngandsober@outlook.com. Nice. Yeah, that is it for yet another episode. We are Young and Sober. See ya.